This is Dispatches from the Frontline, readings from the diary of Sister Nan Ray, who served for four grueling years on the frontline of the battlefields of World War I, read by Geraldine Cook Daphne. of October. Another start at my diary. Sent the second instalment of leaves home by Lady R yesterday. At 8.30 we were ready to leave for the drill. About ten of us, cloaked and bonneted for a route march. First the men started off, quite a big show, and in their rear was one horse ambulance van, a water cart and a field wagon with other equipment. About 50 paces behind we walked, and kept up with them all the way, though the pace was pretty sharp. I believe the distance was five kilometres. Certainly we did stop en route to pick up blueberries in a hedge, but we caught up again and were with them when the halt was called. At once a Red Cross flag was hoisted, and at a convenient gap in the hedge we passed through to the fields beyond. The men got to work at once and very quickly our dressing station was in good going order. It consisted of, one, an impromptu orderly room just within the entrance, where the names, rank, etc. of the wounded and a quick account of their injuries would be taken. From there, they were sent either to, two, the operating tent, if it were a case of hemorrhage or something else requiring immediate attention, three, to the tent for serious cases, four to the minor injuries tent, five and six officers' bivouacs. These last consisted of stretchers placed on their sides in the shape of a square, Macintosh sheeting on the ground and a couple of blankets over the top in case of bad weather. Quite snug little spots. Meantime, the cook had lit a fire and Dixie's were boiling and he made us Bovril. Further in the rear, a commissariat wagon did a good service. A blanket stretched across the shafts, and here was the dispensary. On either side, each having a wheel as a background, were the kit stores and food stores. Behind the hedge, well in the rear, the mortuary. This very impromptu dressing station was all run up within half an hour of our arrival. The stretcher bearers were supposed to go out from here some five to eight miles to meet the wounded being brought back by the Royal Army Medical Corps men from the firing line. At our depot they would be treated at once if necessary, fed and placed in ambulances which would convey them to the railhead where the main AVH clearing hospital will be. We take them in for a day or two, as the case may be, and as soon as possible, send them on in trains to the base. Our field hospital will follow up our advance depot, which must always keep within easy reach of the firing line. While this drill was in progress, Colonel Horn and Major Dick rode up, and after a few words with us, went off again to return in about 15 minutes with biscuits, chocolates and some large bottles of vin ordinaire. So, we had some refreshments with them and the other officers who joined us. 
also had our photographs taken. At about 12 o'clock, we were all packed up and on the road again. But motor ambulances came from the camp and met us and we were driven home. That is, the sisters. 20th October. Drove home for tea and then went shopping. Another field day. This time even better than yesterday. We set off behind the unit soon after nine o'clock and walked in a different direction along very pretty country roads to a beautiful hedged field about five kilometres distant. It was a glorious morning. Clear, cool air, brilliant sunshine and the peace that passeth understanding everywhere. It was difficult to remember that not very far away lay all the horrors of war. Still, we never get far away from the military aspect here. Along the road we passed several companies of men out on route marches. There are so many in the camps to be exercised. Arrived at the field, we sisters, at least some of us, took our sewing or knitting and sat on the ground in groups, watching the men put up an AVH dressing station. Soon afterwards, a squad of eight men were sent on to the wounded, and after a while, away went the ambulance wagon and stretcher bearers to bring them in. I believe they had to go about two miles away. At about 12.30, the Sergeant Cook brought along the Dixies containing tea, and we were handed out our rations, bully beef on a slice of dry bread, army biscuits, 49ers, and cheese. We were all so hungry that we ate ravenously and drank the strong sweet tea as though it were the nectar of the gods. The men lunched at one end of the field, officers and sisters at the other. These army distinctions. We were quite near the entrance where our Red Cross flew bravely and presently, whilst we were still lunching, the convoy of wounded arrived. The vans were emptied and the wounded brought in. They had all received field dressings and were splinted and bandaged in great style and looked thoroughly blessé. We were all very quiet and attentive as they passed. But when our own dear Simmons, the sister's very own special property, was brought along on a stretcher, swathed in bandages, a very audible murmur of protest and sympathy arose, much to the amusement of all the staff. The wounded were treated, then allowed to go free and have luncheon. Afterwards, there was some special drill and we examined the stations and were addressed by the colonel. Then certain men were detailed as wounded and were sent off to the other end of the field, each with a ticket stating the nature of his supposed injuries pinned to his coat. Each was supposed to have already received his first field dressing by the Royal Army Medical Corps and had been left for the stretcher bearers to further make comfortable and carry away. The bearers were formed up and started at a double quick forward. We followed to watch. There were three men to each stretcher. They chose their patient, attended to his injuries and brought him back to the depot. The attention consisted of changing any necessary dressings 
and perhaps adjusting splints. They were padded with grass and bracken fern, etc., as they might be in actual work. When the bearers returned, the general medical officer examined the patients, criticised the treatment, pointed out mistakes, suggested improvements, etc., and so the drill ended. Then there was a lecture on artificial respiration and all were dismissed. Some of us, Gabrielle and I among them, walked back to the camp, the tired ones driving in the motor ambulances which had followed. After luncheon, we were packed into the motor ambulances again and driven to the docks, a long way up the river, and then with thousands of other people, most of them in uniform, we watched the launching of the Normandy, a battleship built at Saint-Nazaire. It was very thrilling. She fairly rushed out of the slips into the water, so much so indeed that two men spectators were washed off the wharf and drawn in. They were rescued and our ambulance took charge of them and wrapped in blankets, they were taken back to the camp. A doctor went with them and was able to report all well when he returned to us. After the ship took the water, she left behind a wonderful trail of tallow that had been used in great quantities to grease the slips. Immediately, a perfect fleet of little fishing boats rushed into the turbulent seething water and it was most exciting to watch the management of the little craft. One man looked after the boat, whilst a second feverishly skimmed the water with a crayfish net for the tallow. There they all were jostling each other and shouting and yelling, all in a terrific hurry to get there first and scoop up the biggest haul. The nets were swung around and emptied into the bottom of the boat, and mostly on top of the man at the oar, just anywhere. It was a most curious sight, and quite as interesting as the actual launching. Tea, as soon as we got back to the camp, and then Gabrielle and I set off to the town to do some shopping. Always there seems to be some shopping to do. Thank you for listening to Dispatches from the Frontline. This project was directed by Naomi Edwards, read by Geraldine Cook-Defner. Original music and sound design by Zoltan Fecho, with producing support from Tristan Meacham and voice editing by Alex Defner. The creative team gratefully acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through the Community Support Fund and Public Record Office Victoria and Creative Victoria with Regional Arts Victoria through the Sustaining Creative Workers Initiative supported by all the Queen's men. We would like to thank the Selman family and in particular Meg Selman for allowing us to use Nanray's diary.